You're listening to Women Making Waves. Lord Lieutenant of Cambridgeshire Julie Spence talks to Women Making Waves contributor Louise Wilson about her career and her life. I thought, that's it. I think I'll become a police officer. So um, it was a total career change. Policing isn't about going out there and arresting people. And I said, well, I want your job, sir. And I don't know what made me say it, but I clearly (laughs) had my sights set on at least being a chief superintendent. This is about equality for everybody. It's about not just the women going off to the the kiddie sports day and the parents' evening. It's about the guys doing it. I am the Queen's representative in the county, so which means that when any of the royal family visit, I'm part and parcel of putting together an interesting itinerary for them. You're the first lady to be given the role of Lord Lieutenant of Cambridgeshire, but we'll come to that later. First of all, I wanted to kind of get to know you a bit better and, for want of a better word, the journey which you've taken uh, to get to the position you're at now. So when you were growing up, was it always your dream and your ambition to follow a path through the policing rank? No, absolutely not. I was born on a farm in Suffolk. My grandfather had a nervous breakdown and my father and he were farmers, so... That meant a whole sea change of life for us and we moved to Essex where my father bought a business and became a sub-postmaster and I went to a school. I loved school but I loved sport and biology so I was going to, when it came to careers, even though my mother bought me a career book and I actually quite fancied forensic science, I quite fancied meteorology, for somehow, and it may have been the choices available at that time, I, I thought actually well I'll be as a teacher and I'll be a sports teacher but with biology as the backstop for when you get too old to do sport. And I went off to Liverpool and I went to Iron Marsh College of Physical Education where I trained to teach PE and biology. Also did a degree at Liverpool University, a Bachelor of Education. Went into the wide world after four years to teach and ended up in the West Country. And I was at a a co-educational Quaker boarding school. I'd never been in the private sector before. I didn't really necessarily at that time in my life absolutely know what Quakers were. But a boarding school was just horrendous in terms of the amount of time it took. So I was also assistant housemistress for girls aged 14. So I would have to get them up in the morning and put them to bed at night. And I have to say, 14-year-olds, if you were ever <laughs> going to have children, you, you wouldn't start off at that sort of age. My only day off I got was a Tuesday. I was in charge of girls' PE. I was also teaching biology and I was absolutely exhausted. And I thought, I don't actually like this teaching lark. Hmm. So um, my then husband was in the Merchant Navy and he came home and decided that he didn't want to go back to sea. So he applied for Avon and Somerset Police and Avon Fire Brigade. And you can probably guess where it's going. Avon and Somerset Police answered his application first. And when I saw him doing the job, which I watched about six months, and I was getting fed up with teaching, I thought, that's it. I think I'll become a police officer. So um, it was a total career change. And it was... After one year of experiencing and not enjoying at all teaching and teaching children. Where did you start off in the police area-wise? From a Suffolk lass initially and then a grammar school girl to actually go to policing in Bristol and policing in the tough, some of the toughest areas of Bristol, areas that you know didn't have a lot of money and didn't have a necessary lot going for them. That's where I policed, but actually that's where I had my social conscience. And I think if you're with people day in, day out who do not have the luck, do not have the circumstances that you've had growing up, 
you actually start to see and feel it. And you're as much a social service as you are a law enforcer. And some days you'd be looking after the fact that they couldn't look after their kids, they didn't have any money coming in, and you'd be trying to put them in touch with people who would help them. And then perhaps the next day they'd have stolen something from a neighbour, so you might be arresting them. So it was one of those really mixed sorts of environments to police in, and, and probably one of the best ones, because policing isn't about going out there and arresting people day in, day out. It is the, the only 24-7 social service, and that's really what I've experienced for my whole career. At the time you started in the police, about 1978, yeah, yeah. let's say they were different times. <laughs> very different yeah, times. Yeah, very different times to where we are now. And I wonder, did you come up against sort of sexist behaviour within the ranks? It was interesting because when I joined, only 7% were women. And I didn't realise at the time that I was the first married woman that Avon and Somerset ever took. And that was unusual at that time because their view of women was if they last five years, that will be good because they would normally come single, they would meet somebody, they'd marry, they'd have one child, they might come back and then have the second child and then they'd leave. And that was seemed to be the sort of prognosis for a woman's career. But I had sort of made a call at that stage. I wasn't sure if I wanted to have children and I was clearly focused on a career. I didn't know how far I was going to go up the, like, up the greasy pole but I do remember as a young probationer, which is in your first two years of policing, going into the chief superintendent's office who was the senior person at a, at a divisional level and, and him saying, and where do you want to go then young lady? And I said, well I want your job sir. And I don't know what made me say it but I clearly <laughs> had my sights set on at least being a chief superintendent. So did I have any uh, sexism? It's interesting because I personally didn't have any as such in terms of my then inspector was, so say, a fast flyer, but he didn't actually fly, fly past inspector. That seemed to be his ceiling. But he went out and he thought it was good that I should do everything the blokes did. So although I was the one woman on the shift, I was never kept in at nights, whereas women in north of, of Bristol were kept in on nights. They only sort of went out on the earlies and late shifts. So I was given full range, except when the police women's unit was short. So after I'd done two years on shift and I absolutely loved it, I was then sent to the police women's unit, which was women and children only. And the work was fantastic, but the fact that you were then constrained in a unit full of women, I suppose, for me, that was discrimination. And one of my goals then, when I became a sergeant eventually in the unit, was I made it mixed. Yeah. Because many women who worked in those units did not have children, did not even want children, but many men did. So it seemed that there was so much talent in the male workforce that they ought to be, we ought to be using that in child protection. And you should be there because you want to, not because of your gender. Hmm. And so that was you know, one of my first things as a, as a young sergeant that I decided I needed to change. And perhaps that's the course of my life is getting in there and trying to get involved and change things. Yeah, and do you think actually that, in a way, the fact that you personally didn't come up against it is down to your character, actually, because you seem quite straightforward, quite sort of say it how it is. And Yeah, you know. I, it probably was because um, I work with the guys. I, I would do anything that came in. I did bulk up the fact that I had to be initially just in a skirt. I mean, it was probably uniform stuff you were more in. And I do remember being stuck at the top of a a very high metal gate um, and uh, somebody was actually running away from me and I couldn't get off this A-line skirt wouldn't actually let me move over the um, over the gate and then eventually they did allow us to wear trousers but we could only wear trousers on night shift I'm not quite sure what would happen to the world if we'd worn them on a day shift but eventually they allowed us to wear trousers so you would say it like it was but you still took 
the wheels a little bit of a slow time. But I have to say, some of my male colleagues in the senior ranks were actually quite open. You know, people would sort of sit in fear of them and say, oh, we didn't dare say that. I mean, I remember going to one quite fearsome superintendent around the, you know, we need to make it for women and and men in, in, child, in the child protection units. And, and he was actually very open to it and became a great advocate of it. So, yeah, I think sometimes it, it probably still exists today. If people have got to actually knock on the door and, and make the suggestions. And, and, and you'll be surprised what a willing ear you'll have behind there. You know, when I launched the gender agenda, which took a long time to actually get right, but it was about being pro-women, not anti-men, because many men supported women in policing, often because they had daughters who were actually going to join the job or in another career, and they wanted them to be able to have the opportunity to do well. And actually, there were some women who didn't want that. They actually wanted to hang on to the old traditions. They wanted to be called WPC. They wanted to stay in their own women's units, and they weren't up for being having the opportunity to do everything in the broad brush. So that was actually the most difficult thing for some guys. They'd speak to some women who wouldn't want it, and then there'd be a whole raft of us say, actually, this is about equality for everybody. It's about not just the women going off to the, the kiddie sports day and the parents' evening. It's about the guys doing it. You know, it's, it's actually about the short men and the tall men having equipment that fits them. I went through nearly all my career with a size 14 collar. Never once did I see a size 14 or a size 16 you know, shirt, because they didn't think about doing them in women's sizes. And for that sort of reed trousers, you know, we'd have 34 waists as opposed to size 14 or size 16, you know. Mm. It was those sorts of things that we started to wake people's minds up to, the fact that you had to have motorcycles that women could actually pick up. But actually that also worked for smaller guys as well. You know, you had to have guns that people could hold if you actually wanted them to to go into the firearms units. You couldn't actually have guns they couldn't hold because they were far too heavy. You know, if you give people poor equipment, they will fail in the job and they say, ah, that's just because they're a woman. Yeah. But actually it's not. If you give people the equipment to do the job, everybody can thrive. We're talking about your police career and you're a huge advocate of continued learning as well. Yeah. Um, that's one of your things, even even with your busy schedule, you <laughs> seem to be taking on more and more um, as you go. But also you're involved with well-being of women, which is focusing on re- reproductive health. So tell me why in particular that charity? That interesting, how do you become involved with the charity? Actually, it was through a police connection because the, the chair of Surrey Police Authority, who supports the gender agenda that um, we were developing in policing. So she encouraged police authority colleagues, which in today's language would be the police and crime commissioners. And she worked with me. And so we actually had a sort of a united front and that also included the inspectorate as well who came along board. But she then left Surrey Police Authority and she became the chief exec of Wellbeing of Women. And the British Association of Women in Policing, which I was president of for about 10 years she encouraged us to have a charity which we did so we had conferences senior women officers conferences most years and we would then have our own charity and and so the the association with um well-being of women started there interestingly as you hit um a senior rank you 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 suddenly think the night sweats and everything are to do with stress then you realize actually it's not it's the beginning of the menopause and so I thought, well, we, we didn't really get maternity and we didn't get women with children right first time. We've improved over time in terms of how we, we support women who um, have, have families. With now women doing 30 years plus career, they will be hitting the menopause. So what is there out there and what should we be doing for women who are hitting the menopause in policing? And we looked around and actually I got a, a wonderful lady called Amanda Griffiths 
at Nottingham University to do some research for us. And what she found was there's only one piece of work at that time done for the TUC um, about women and menopause, and that was very scant. So she did the first piece of work around things you should be doing for women in the menopause. And then she linked with the Royal College of Gynaecologists and Obstetricians, which is the sort of mothership of well-being of women. And so we sort of had a synergy that sort of grew. And since then, I've really uh, supported. When you start having hot flushes or sweating at night or something else, there's nothing actually wrong with you. It's just normal. Um, and, you know, there are things that help. Although it is interesting that you can have mirrored behaviours. I remember sitting in a room having a meeting and I was getting really hot. And then the guys just said, oh, it's really hot in here, isn't it? And they were sort of sweating as well. So I decided that I'd enabled them to have their own personal hot flushes. <laughs> it, was, it was definitely not, not a hot room for me. <laughs> um, being the first Lord Lieutenant of Cambridgeshire is not the first first, if you like, is it? Because no. you were the first Chief Constable of Cambridge. I was the first, first female Chief yeah. Constable yeah. and the first now female Lord Lieutenant, yeah. What do the roles involve? I am the Queen's representative in the county and then the people say, well, how do you become that? Well, it's not something, you know, I could aspire to be a Chief Constable. You can't really aspire to be a, a Lord Lieutenant. When the previous Lord Lieutenant is about to retire and you have to retire at 75... Somebody from the Cabinet Office, on behalf of the Prime Minister, because it's the Prime Minister who recommends one person uh, out of initially a shortlist of three, to the Queen. And if the Queen approves, then you will become her representative. But they come out into the county and they apparently they talk to lots of different people. So they will talk to the military, they'll talk to the clergy, they will talk then to the then chief constable, they'll talk to the councillors, they'll talk to leaders of the council, they will talk to charities and then try to get from them their view of, one, what the county needs and who they think actually might be able to do that role. And interestingly, as a deputy lieutenant, I was really grateful when Sir Hugh Dubley asked me to become a, a deputy lieutenant because I'd, you know, I'd fallen in love with Cambridgeshire. I really thought it was a fantastic county. I thought it had so many things going for it. But also there were some parts of it that people didn't truly ever recognise or understand. And quite often you see us as a very wealthy county. You don't necessarily see the other side. And sometimes we have neglected parts of our county and even within the city of Cambridge it's the same thing you know we have two wards where two-thirds of the children live in poverty alongside people who you know have mega wealth and we've just come out on that on the thing as a, as a most polarized city so I think there is work for the lieutenancy to, to do in in sort of that respect but no when I was interviewed as a who I thought should be it I gave my views as to what the county needed and who I thought should be it and at the end of that interview the question was asked well what about you then and I said well what about me then he said well clearly you've never thought about it but go home and have a conversation and see if you'd be willing to go on the shortlist and I went home and had a chat with my husband and thought well you know it's a bit like life you know if you're not in it you can't win it and why would you want not to do it so decided that I would go on the shortlist and I'd, and I'd wait and see and I was told that the protocol is that you don't get told if you haven't got it you only get told if you have got it and if I hadn't heard by the 31st of January then I wouldn't have had it and that was in 2017. And how did that feel when you got that call? <laughs> I didn't get it by the 31st of January. Oh, really? We went off on holiday and um so as I went off on holiday, I thought, well, that's it, I didn't get it. There was an email that popped into my box. We we actually went, part of my bucket list was to trek gorillas in Uganda, and we'd just finished. And this email popped in, and I couldn't really see it because the Wi-Fi was particularly bad where we were. But when I eventually did open it, it said, have you had the letter yet? And of course I hadn't. 
But when I finally got home and saw the letters, in fact, Theresa May, who was the Prime Minister, had signed her letter on something like the 12th of January. But his boss um, in the Cabinet Office only signed it on the 31st, so it would never have got to me by the 31st. So, yeah, I, I felt elated, actually. I felt... It was amazing. I mean, when I became chief constable, I did walk around my office and nipping myself. You know, I'd, I'd aspired to be chief constable, but I, I, you know, you never think that you're actually going to achieve it. And then to do this, which was totally unexpected, but an enormous honour, I thought was amazing. So, yes. So what does the role do? I, I am the Queen's representative in the county, so which means that when any of the royal family visit, I'm part and parcel of putting together an interesting itinerary for them because... The one thing about the royal family is they're really interested in interesting things and interesting people and they want to support community and what people are doing in communities to make them thrive. And you've seen even more and more recently from the activities of some of them what their real interests are. And so it is mental health, it's young people, it's around how you develop a thriving community. It is about business. It's, it's, so it's, it's not one-dimensional, but it's multidimensional and looking to people who really are inspirational. So it's putting together, helping them put together visits and then managing those visits. But it's also linking with the military, it's linking with the magistracy, it's supporting anything that I can and my deputy lieutenants, because I have a, a range of deputy lieutenants around the county and they all do it as a gratis support to the monarchy in trying to make sure that we engender community spirit and support things that are going on in the community so people can contact us and if one or others are free we're more than happy to come along to different events to support local initiatives and you never know what might come out of that in case if it if it really inspires us it might actually inspire the royal family to come and visit too how does that feel as well when you are essentially hosting them do you get nervous because also you were actually part of the team that coordinated the queen mother's funeral so i mean on days like that that must just be quite a daunting prospect Um, or do you just kind of get on with the job well the queen mother's funeral i never met any of the royal family although i did all the preparations and we had to go to buckingham palace and we met with the staff and so that we knowing that was going to be on a on a national yet and an international stage yes you were concerned that it absolutely went right so that there was some trepidation. But on the other hand, your training kicks in. And it's a little bit like this. There are trepidations before royal visits, and you do want it to go well, but we just had one only a sort of a week or so ago with Prince Charles and Duchess of Cornwall. And I was so proud of the county. I mean, in terms of Cambridge, the Duchess went to junior diabetes, and then Ely and Wisbeach. It was absolutely amazing, and people came out and really showed off what's best about the county in both of those areas. So you do feel immensely proud, but it's wonderful when our plan comes together. You know, yeah. it's you do, at the end of the day, think, yes, actually the planning makes it. And I suppose, if anything, if you're looking at, doing degrees or looking at having successful visits or anything the planning pays and we did a lot of planning for that well we had to because they were having two people doing in different locations it was one could say a nightmare it could have turned into a nightmare but it turned into a success so I was really pleased so with all of that on your plate on the days that you get some time off how do you relax <laughs> I love travel I have a bucket list and I have to say my bucket list is, is getting near the bottom now which is good because um, you know I, I, I had a long career in policing and I did do travel as you do and I've, but I've slowly got away from the beach which I think you do when you're younger and actually really into wildlife and wildlife photography so we like travelling the world looking at wildlife and I find that relaxing so I love that every morning I go to the gym as long as I've not got an early meeting in London or something like that um, 
So I, I really enjoy that and I enjoy keeping fit. I don't listen to too much music and the reason I don't listen to music, I always used to, but my husband has problems with his ears so if I put the music on it irritates his ears so if I want to enjoy the music I like enjoying I will end up irritating him and I have to do a balance. Sometimes I feel like being irritating and sometimes <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Oh, brilliant. Well, it's it's just, it's lovely to meet you. And is there anything left to do now? I mean, really, you seem to have conquered it all. I think it's just to really enjoy, because I'm, I'm going to be Lord Lieutenant till I'm 75, and I just really want to make the most of the time, which I have to say is another 12 years, so that's really good. But I want to make sure I make the most of the time for the people of Cambridgeshire, which, as I said, is a county I've come to love. You know, it's really true what people say around voluntary work makes a difference. I know my voluntary work is very subtly different, but... If you get out there and you work with people and work with communities, it's really uplifting. And I've got to make sure I have a plan for post-75 because when I don't have this 24-7, then I'm going to definitely need to do something else. Create a new bucket list, babe. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Who'd have believed, Susie, that when you decide to join the police force when you're relatively young, you're going to end up being the chief constable. That must never have crossed Julie Spencer's mind at the time. And then to top it off, she's now Lieutenant, Lord Lieutenant of Cambridgeshire. That is an amazing role, is it not? Oh, it really is. I think she sounds really approachable, really down to earth, really sensible. What a great woman. What a great role model as well. I also think she has a huge amount of empathy. And I think that's what makes you get on in your career as well. You know, that she obviously has a feel for other people. No, I think she's absolutely brilliant. Loved that interview. And well done to Louise as well. I thought it was excellent. You're listening to Women Making Waves. 